To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The word of God. You can go ahead and have a seat. And my teacher, Dr. Hawthorne, used to talk about what a rich image the picture of a door is. Uh, It can mean many different things. Sometimes it can be an image of safety to be behind the door that's bolted. Uh, Sometimes it can be a picture of hiddenness. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. Sometimes it can mean rejection. She slammed the door in my face. Uh, Sometimes it can mean rest. They did a survey years ago uh, and asked moms of real little children what their favorite room in the house is. Anybody want to guess? It's the bathroom. Because you can go in there and shut the door and keep those little brats from getting at you. But in this passage, Dr. Hawthorne would say, a door means none of these things. Rather, it is an open door. Actually, grammatically, it's an opened door. This is action that has been taken. And the idea is that it was God who opened the door, that God does this in human lives. It's a picture of boundless opportunities of unlimited chances to do something worthwhile, of grand openings into new and unknown adventures of significant living, of heretofore unimagined chances to do good, to make our little lives count for eternity. Open doors are glorious and often mysterious, and they always involve God, and they're what we live for. So that's the first text from the book of Revelation. Now, the second text that I want to read to you is also about mission in life, about being different. It's from a different author. And appropriately enough, this weekend at commencement, when people are graduating, whatever they're graduating from, books are always a popular choice. And this one in particular is quite uh, popular. So I'll read a bit of it. See if you can guess the author of this book. Congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on the way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who sort of high heights, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. All alone, whether you like it or not, all alone is something you'll be quite a lot. But when things start to happen, don't worry, don't stew, just go right along. You'll be happening too. Kid, you'll move mountains. So, be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai, Alley, Van Allen, O'Shea, you're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Anybody here know the author? Wow. Yes, it's exactly right. Uh, It's a little embarrassing. I have to tell you, I kind of like Dr. Seuss. The only problem is when I read Dr. Seuss, I start to talk like Dr. Seuss. and That's not great given my line of work. Uh, but, But there's something real deep inside of us where that image of an open door of making our lives count, oh, the places you'll go, speaks to a deep longing in the human soul. And so I want to offer a series of observations out of the Bible about this notion of 
open door living. And, and the first observation is this. God is a God of the open door. God loves to give opportunities for impact and contribution to people. It's part of why he made us. And so open doors, opportunities for impact to make a difference come to us, not because we're smart or connected or educated, but as a gift of grace from God. And we see this in the very beginning in the Bible. God came to a man named Abraham out of the blue for no particular reason at all. And God said to him, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. And Abraham said, where are these places you want me to go? When will I get there? How will I know? Will I need a design? Will I need a degree? Will I need other things that you're hiding from me? What is the map of your plan for my life? I must know all this stuff. I must talk to my wife. And lo... The Lord did not tell him. The Lord was terribly fuzzy about all the details. God said, no, that would take all the fun and mystery and adventure and risk and faith out of it. Just, his first command is just go. His first command. To the place where I will show you. Go means you're going to have to trust me. Go means you're going to have to leave your little comfort zone because God says my project, which by the way, Abraham begins with little you, involves the whole world. I'm concerned for all humanity, so you can't stay here. He said a long time ago to a man named Abraham, you must go there. And by the way, what a cool thing that we're meeting in a synagogue. And you know that story about God's project for humanity that began with Abraham, that, that, that became a... a a, a statement of mission for Abraham and for the people of Israel. And it's one that we share with them. Go. And then he tells Abraham why he wants him to go. Uh, and it's the single word bless. Go and bless. God says to Abraham, I will bless you, but the blessing that you get now, your whatever you got, resources, education, it's never just about you. It's for you to give out. This is, in other words, open doors are not about your status, your ego. They're not about what in the Bay Area we're often told they're about. You are blessed to be a blessing on a scale that you cannot imagine. Now imagine God coming to this, this one little nomad guy, Abraham, and saying, I will bless you and all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. Really, that's a little grandiose, isn't it? All the peoples, it's different than nations in our days. All the tribes, all the cultures, all the languages. I care about them all, God says. I love them all. I want them all to be blessed through you. And lest you think this is a casual comment, it gets repeated over and over in the book of Genesis, just a few places. Genesis chapter 18, Abraham will surely become a great nation and all nations, peoples on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis 22, Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Chapter 26, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Chapter 28, all nations on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is a mission statement for Abraham and then for Israel. Israel, and then for me and you. The purpose of the open door, your mission is to go and then bless. Now, bless is one of those kind of Bible words often just becomes a cliche. What does it mean to bless? Well, to bless is to be seriously concerned about someone's life and to want to enhance life, want to add to their life, want to give. Blessing is what God does. 
Blessing is when the will is inclined to love. First time we see the word bless in the Bible is Genesis chapter 1. We're told God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems and God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas. I love the picture in the Bible of God blessing fish. The first time God blesses, he's blessing fish. How many fish did God make? Many fish. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Not one of them is like another. I don't know why. Go ask your mother. He made so many things, I guess, so God could have some things to bless. That's his project. That's the missio dei. The mission of God is to bless. And then he creates human beings. And we're told, again, this is in the first chapter of Genesis. And God blessed them. Prosper. Reproduce. Fill earth. Take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And our love for this earth and the the reason that we are moved to go look at the ocean or have little aquariums or or farms or, or zoos or so is that this is God's world and we were made to bless it the way that God... See, I've set before you an open door. God blesses the human beings and then tells them they are to be a blessing to the earth and supremely to other human beings. Human beings, you have been blessed to be a blessing. An open door life is a life with a purpose, with a mission to make a difference. Whose mission is it? It's God's. What is the mission? To bless. Where? Wherever you go. When? Congratulations. Today is your day. And people will say, but I'm not trained, or I don't know how, or I never graduated from anywhere. I, I can't describe or articulate about my faith. It's as simple as Dr. Seuss, go bless. And you can do that, whoever and wherever you are, and it is not optional. Open doors, another observation about them. Open doors start where you are, not where you think you ought to be. Uh, there was a front page article in the San Francisco Chronicle not real long ago, about a metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen's unbelievable article. She she loves the people who ride her bus. She knows the regulars. She actually learns them by name and greets them by name. She will wait for them if they are late and make up the time. A woman in her 80s named Elsie had some grocery bags. She's sitting on the bench waiting. Linda got out of the driver's seat off the bus to help Elsie carry her grocery bags onto the bus. Now Elsie lets other buses pass by because she only wants to ride on Linda's bus. Linda saw another woman named Tanya in a bus shelter, and uh, she looked a little lost. Linda thought she was probably a stranger. It was almost Thanksgiving, so Linda said to her, no kidding, she's a transit operator. She said, you look kind of lonely. It's almost Thanksgiving. Why don't you come to the house and kick it with me and the kids? And now they're friends. The reporter who wrote this article, this is the Chronicle, rides Linda's bus every day. He said she has built such a little community on that bus that her passengers offer her the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found out she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them as presents to her. One passenger upgraded her gift to a rabbit fur collar. 
The article says she may be the most beloved bus driver since Ralph Cramden on The Honeymooners. If anybody remembers that old TV show. You think about what a thankless job it is to drive a bus. Cranky passengers and traffic jams and engine breaks downs and, 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 you know, messes made on the floor. How does she have this attitude? Again, this is in the San Francisco Chronicle. Her mood is always set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. There is always a lot to talk about with the Lord, says Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. When she gets to the end of her, her route, the end of her line, she'll always say, well, that's all. I love you. Take care. No kidding, I was so inspired when I read that article, I called her up and talked to her, and she is a radiant follower of Jesus, and I asked her, would you come and speak at the church where I serve? And so she came to Menlo, and our original campus, where I'm usually at, a couple miles away from Stanford, a lot of people that, you know, they want to be venture capitalists or do a startup and change the world and make a fortune, and Linda Wilson Allen was a rock star. She's got up and talked about how she and Jesus loved the people on her bus. Amen? And uh, at my church, nobody said amen because it's a Presbyterian church. And <laughs> I had to explain to them, you know, Linda goes to the church where you got to talk back when, when she talks to you. And, and after the last service, I'm not kidding you, people stuck around for an hour to shake her hand and to tell her about their story and to ask, would you pray for me? You know, we make stuff so complicated. People wonder, where can I find the kingdom of God? I will tell you where. You can find it on the number 45 bus riding through San Francisco. Where can I find an open door behind the wheel of a metro transit? All the places you'll go. Another observation. Open doors are about opportunities, not about guarantees. You know, what we're really talking about when it comes to making a difference is, uh, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I follow God's will for my life? And if you're around the church much, you've heard that talked about a lot, and sometimes church people will obsess over this. Should I choose door number one or door number two? I remember when I was graduating from school, and I wanted to know, what shall I do with my life? Praying for hours, days, asking, God, tell me what to do. I, I, I don't care what it is, just send me a postcard and I will do it. And I got so frustrated because I didn't get an answer from God. And I felt like either I'm not praying right or God's not doing his job because I'm not finding out what I'm supposed to do. And what it took me way too long to learn was this, that God is more important with the person I become than with the circumstances I inhabit. And that means very often, because God's goal for me is to develop good judgment and sound character. God, yes, that's right. Often God's will for my life is going to be, John, I want you to choose. Amen. I didn't know that. I grew up in the church, but I thought if there was a big decision. God's just supposed to tell me what to do, and then my job is to do it. It never occurred to me. Sometimes God's will for me will be now you choose. Now, see, parents know this. If you're a parent, you have a little kid, and you want them to grow up to be a great person, would it be a good thing if you always told them, wear these clothes, take this class, move over here, date this person, marry this person, and they just always do what you tell them? Would that be a good thing? No, the correct answer is... You guys are worried. Some of you are thinking, hey, that sounds pretty good to me. No, 
That'd be terrible. Why? Because your primary goal for them is that they grow up to become a great person with great character and decision making is an indispensable tool in character formation, see? And I did not understand that. I thought the will of God was just, anytime I have a big decision, God is supposed to tell me what to do and then I'm supposed to do it and then if he doesn't do it, something's going wrong. No. God is perfectly capable. If God has something for you to do, if God has a job for you to take or a ministry assignment or a person God wants you to date, God is perfectly capable of giving you that thought, planting it in your mind, using a conversation or a book. God can and does do that. But because God wants you to become a person of great character and judgment, often God's will for your life will be, I want you to choose. And I didn't, when I was finishing school, I just wanted to know, God, what do you want me to do? And what I didn't realize was, I didn't want God's will for my life nearly as much as I wanted to be spared the anxiety of making a difficult decision. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? Bible talks a lot about pursuing wisdom, see. Not just get radar so you never have to worry about making a decision again. That's not what it means to follow God. When I was coming close to graduating from college and thinking about what to do next, my teacher, Dr. Hawthorne, said, if you get into, I was applying to Fuller, this uh, uh, school in California, if you get in, you ought to take that as God's will for your life. And so I went there, and mostly I studied clinical psychology, and I thought I was going to be a therapist, and that's what God's will for my life would be. And then I started doing therapy, and I didn't like doing therapy, and the people that would come to see me got unhealthier the more they saw me. <laughs> But I also started working at a church and preaching, and I just thought, God, I feel so alive when I preach. I think maybe this is God's will for my life. And, and then I was at a church called First Baptist Church at Lacrosena while I was going through school, and I was preaching one day, and I got several minutes into the message and wasn't going real well, and I started to feel kind of weird, and the next thing I knew, I had fainted dead away in the middle of a sermon. And the next time I got up to preach, the same thing happened. About 10 minutes in, fainted dead away. It was awful. And the worst part is, uh, it was a Baptist church, not a charismatic church where you get credit for doing that kind of thing. <laughs> and I was so confused about this because I thought, God, I thought this is like maybe your calling, your will for my life. And I love to do it, but you can't preach if you faint on a regular basis. <laughs> makes people kind of nervous and 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 the 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 scripture that came to mean so much to me across that time was where Paul says to God God I have this problem this thorn in my flesh please take it away and God says no I'm not going to do that but I will tell you this that my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness and and what I didn't understand when I was younger and it took me a long time was often uh, who you become while you're going through a door matters more than which door you go through. And so don't just assume if you have a decision to make, if there's a possibility before you that God has some particular will that you're supposed to do. Maybe he does, and he is perfectly capable of saying that, but sometimes he will say to you, I want you to choose, and you have to bear the burden of that responsibility, and God knows that will grow you up in a way that nothing else would, and I've experienced that. Leads to the next observation about open doors. Going through an open door does not mean that God will make my life easy on the other side of that door. Think about this. If you're a Bible person, if you know the Bible well, when in the Bible does God ever give someone an easy job? 
When in the Bible does God to somebody and say, uh, here, I want you to take on this assignment, but it will not inconvenience you much. Never. God never promises, go and it'll be easy. He does promise, go and I will be with you. Comes to Noah one day. Noah, I want you to leave everything, build an ark, face judgment, ridicule, hostility, start everything all over again with great desolation, but I will be with you and I will give you a sign, the rainbow. And Noah says, yes, I'll go. Then God comes to Abraham. Abraham, I want you to leave your home, your culture, your people, your language, everything familiar to you, and go to a place you do not even know. I will show you when you get there. But I will be with you, and I will give you a sign of my presence. Circumcision. Abraham says, Noah got the rainbow. (laughs) Doesn't seem fair. Couldn't it be like a secret ring or handshake or something? See, people sometimes actually refuse to go through doors based on this criteria. I just don't feel peace about it. Well, when in the Bible did God ever tell Moses to go confront Pharaoh, for crying out loud, or David to have to fight Goliath, or Daniel to go into a lion's den, or this young girl Esther to face a genocidal maniac named Haman, and have one of them say, yes, I feel peace about that, Lord. See, peace does not generally lie in getting God to give me other circumstances. It's found in finding God in the circumstances where I am right now. And by the way, for anybody here where you've gone through an open door and your life got harder and you're facing challenges or you're tempted to get discouraged or or somebody or something's coming up against you and making it really hard for you, I know what that's like. And you are not alone. You are not the first person in kingdom history with a hard assignment. And you are not to the end of your story yet. Another observation. The best way to learn about how to deal with large open doors is to practice a lot with small ones. Is to practice a lot with small ones. Sometimes when we think about God's will for our lives, we glamorize it, we romanticize it. Mostly open doors are about following Jesus in one moment to the next moment to the next moment to the next moment in ways that are quite small because every moment comes with a door, see? See, I've said before an open door. Now, an open door is simply a a God-ordained, God-powered opportunity to do good. Doesn't have to look big. Doesn't have to be dramatic. Right now, there's this open door and I can listen to God and say, God, I want to be available for you and you can be listening to God. Every moment comes with a door. I got a phone call from a really cranky neighbor and she was complaining about stuff and it was petty and small-minded and very irritating, just a nasty voicemail. And then I remember Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think, Jesus, if you want this woman, this woman to receive patience and love, I will have Nancy call her. I talked to a guy at a restaurant, and as we chatted, turns out he was working two minimum wage jobs, both to make ends meet and also to take care of his mom. I hadn't been thinking about this, but then I remember where Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust, thieves break in and steal, store up treasures in heaven. I thought, I can do that right now with this guy. 
I'm driving on the expressway and I'm just irritated. I'm in a hurry. I'm on 280 and it's bumper to bumper. And then a guy drives past everybody on the left hand shoulder as if it really is his road. And he's driving a Maserati. And, and then he wants to get in front of me to exit. And he actually taps on his watch like I'm wasting his time. And I'm just steaming. And then I remember Jesus' words. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. There's always something. Always something in there. Actually brings me to another observation about open doors. Um, if I'm going to... If I'm going to live an open-door life, if I want to make my life an adventure and unlimited chances to do good for God and with God, if I want to be different, if I want to make a difference, I will have to reject the myth that says, if I ever choose the wrong door, I'm stuck with God's plan B for the rest of my life. And very often, folks, including folks in church, just get this idea, well, if I ever took the wrong job or married the wrong person or made a wrong choice, I'm just, you know, God's specialty is redemption. Like, if the cross teaches us anything, it's there's no human choice that is so bad that God cannot transcend it and use it to create glorious good. So, a friend of mine... A uh, pastor named Craig Rochelle uh, sometimes puts it like this. If you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you real quick and just nod and say to them, if you're not dead, you're not done. I don't care where you are, what you chose, how you messed up, how old you are. I have friends I went through college with, and we get together uh, every year for the better part of a week. We always do something a little different. So a couple of years ago, I took them surfing on Cowles Beach in um, Santa Cruz. And because we all went to college together, I still think of us as relatively young adults. <laughs> Until we're standing there on the beach, we have two surf instructors, and one of them mutters to the other one under his breath, I guess it's AARP day at the beach today. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I guess it's not big tip day at the beach today. Some of the saddest stories, I think, are about calls that never get answered, risks that never get taken. There's a whole field of study in the social sciences around the psychology of regret. And it's fascinating how regret changes over life. When we're younger, we often regret the foolish things that we did. Wish I hadn't gone there. Wish I hadn't eaten that. Wish I had not asked her out. Wish he had not asked me out. When we get older, it kind of shifts, and we end up regretting the things we did not do. The words we did not speak. The risks we did not take. The roads we did not go down. If you're not dead, you're not done. Moses is 80 years old when God calls him to lead the Exodus. He's 80 when it starts. Caleb is 80 years old when he says to God, God, just give me one more mountain. Uh, at our church, there's a woman named Florence Detler, and she decided a few years ago she needed a new challenge. So she went on Facebook. She was 101 years old at the time. And it turns out that out of the, you know, well over a billion people on Facebook when she went on, she was the oldest. So Mark Zuckerberg heard about this, invited her to a personal tour of Facebook. 
And she had a picture taken with him and Sheryl Sandberg. Television interview went viral. And the next day, Florence got 7,000 friend requests. (laughs) She said she was getting carpal tunnel syndrome trying to respond (laughs) to friendship requests on Facebook. Died a little while ago at 105 years old. Last years of her life. She's praying for people, giving advice to people all over the world. If you're not dead, you're not done. Abraham tried to say no because he's too old. Timothy tried to say no because he's too young. Gideon tried to say no because he's in the wrong tribe. Moses tried to say no because he got the wrong gifts. Esther tried to say no because she's the wrong gender. Elijah tried to say no because he's got the wrong enemy. All of this, I, I think maybe the patron saint of resistance to open doors is a guy by the name of Jonah. Anybody remember a prophet named Jonah? And the word of the Lord comes to him. Could you, would you go to preach? Could you, would you go to reach the people in Assyria for you fit my criteria? And Jonah said to the Lord, I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea. So stop this talk and let me be. That's the book of Jonah right there. There's a a psychologist by the name of Abraham Maslow, and he actually wrote about what he called the Jonah Complex. The Jonah Complex, this strange tendency we have to evade our calling, to say no to our destiny, to refuse to go through a God-open door. So, this is where it gets personal. What about you? What about you? If you're not dead, you're not done. Maybe you're at a crossroads. Uh, In the connection cards, this is where you might want to be thinking about this. There's a little box where it says, my response to the message. A lot of times it helps to write something down. So you might want to pull this out. I'm hesitant to do this because Pastor Tillman was telling me that usually this comes at the very end of the message and then people are like Pavlov's dogs where they're just ready to leave and I'm not done with the message yet. So... Uh, Are you okay if we talk about this even though I'm not done with the message yet? So are you okay if we talk about this even though I'm not done with the message yet? All right. Maybe, maybe you're a graduate. Maybe you're facing graduation. Cal, you got a whole life in front of you. Will you make your life choice about something other than how much money can I make and how secure can I get? Will you make it about making a difference? God, would you send me just open doors? Maybe you're in transition. People are changing jobs, careers, more often in our day than ever, ever before. How do you choose wisely? Maybe you're just stuck in a rut. And you know God doesn't want that for you. And you have a desire. You could do more. You could be more. Maybe you're facing an empty nest. You've got freedom, time, possibilities that have not been available in a few decades. What's the best way to use them for God? Maybe you're retiring, but you know the word retire is not in the Bible and you're not ready for death or shuffleboard. What might God have for you next? Maybe you got a passion. Maybe you traveled someplace. Maybe there's a need. Maybe you have been through a need. Maybe you have suffered greatly and you want to help other people that suffer in the same way. Maybe you're a student trying to decide what school to go to. Maybe you're on the brink of an exciting relationship or thinking about marriage. Maybe you've been frustrated by a lost opportunity. Maybe you can't find the job right now and and, and the question is just, God, how do I find an open door in my day, whatever my day is filled with? 
What does God have for you? If God's calling you to do anything, to give in some way, to serve in some way, to make some decision, to confess something, just write it down in that little contact card. Maybe, maybe the open door is to give your life to him, to the grace that comes to us through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. Because he, Jesus knows all about open doors. He made his life an adventure in unlimited chances to do good. And they killed him for it. They didn't want somebody who wanted to bless all the peoples, all the nations, Gentiles and Jew. Rich and poor, slave and free. They didn't like that. And they laid his body in a tomb. But on the third day, the father rolled away the stone and the father said to the son, see, I have set before you an open door. Now, that's the ultimate open door. Nobody thought that door was being opened. Roman guards did not think that door, Pontius Pilate did not think that door was going to, Herod Caesar did not think that door. God says, set before you an open door. I love the account in Matthew. Matthew puts it like this. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they worshipped him. And I always think Jesus is tremendously understated there. He's just risen from the dead, conquered death, defeated the grave, and all he has to say is, Greetings. Dale Bruner, great New Testament scholar, is writing about this passage. He talks about a children's sermon one time where the teacher says, uh, who knows what Jesus said after his resurrection? And one little girl raised her hand, I know. Ta-da! <laughs> and that's actually not a bad translation of the text. Like, what'd you expect? Like, of course. And then a little later, Right before he left the earth at kind of graduation day for that class of, uh, at that time, 11, just 11, only 11, no diplomas, just this was commencement. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go and bless, that is, make disciples of all the nations. Congratulations, today is your day. You will travel the world. You will stand before kings. You will have absolutely no money and be outrageously happy. You will be locked up in prison and sing songs for God's sake. You will be beaten for your faith and count yourself honored to have suffered for the name. So go, feed the hungry, visit those who have been imprisoned, free those who are oppressed, love those who are forgotten, care for those who are marginalized, who are discarded, who are discounted. I will be with you and one day I will come back and we will set everything right. But in between that day and this day, oh, the places you'll go.